0: Whoever would be my disciple would take up their cross and follow me. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the inspiration of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer. Amen. I'd like to share with you uh, a story when my dad was 15 years old, he stood before the congregation of First Lutheran Church in Albemarle, North Carolina, alongside 20 other 14 to 15-year-olds, all ready to affirm their baptism. It was the spring of 1947, the day of their confirmation. They began their classes when World War II had not yet been decided. The next few years would bring lots of changes to the world and, of course, lots of changes to, to these confirmation students. That's what happens when teenagers are preparing for things like school dances and homecomings and colleges and careers. Some were married within three to four years after that confirmation day. A few of the boys fought in Korea. At least one of them died there. Many stayed in Albemarle. Others uh, ventured off into new places, new careers, new locations, a fresh start. But on that day in 1947, these young men and women knew nothing about their future. They had no clue what the coming days would bring. It was a, just a, a moment in time for them. All else was frozen in place. Pastor White Eddings, who who many of us know here at St. John's because he served this congregation a few decades later. Uh, Pastor Eddings stood before the congregation. He was the pastor at at First Lutheran in Albemarle. He introduced all the students. Family members were there. They were so proud, so eager, many remembering their own confirmations years earlier for Lutherans. It's a defining moment in a young person's journey, almost a, a bridge into adulthood, Each student, as was common, recited portions of Martin Luther's small catechism, what once was a time-honored ritual in the Lutheran church. Some stammered. Others spoke with a great deal of confidence. Parents were nervously hoping their child would not be the one to forget. Before the final act of of uh, affirmation. Pastor Iddings stood before my dad and his classmates. He was tall, he was funny, he was confident, he was, he was loved by many. A hush then fell over the room. Pastor Eddings had asked about their faith, he had asked about the creeds of the church, their commitment to ministry. Then he quoted from this Gospel of Matthew Whoever would be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. Then he looked into all of their eyes and asked one final question. Would you give everything for the sake of the gospel? Waiting for my dad's response was my grandmother. My dad looked in her direction, I'm sure, and and there he saw a loving woman who had not had the easiest of lives, she had four children during the Great Depression, suffered the early, early death of one husband and the abuse of another. Finding it almost impossible to survive as a single mom, my, my, my dad's two older brothers were sent to live with a relative. My grandmother and my dad moved in with her aunt and uncle so that she could go to work in, in High Point. She lived in a boarding house there during the week and then rode the bus back to Albemarle each and every weekend so that she could go to church and, of course, Sunday lunch afterwards. After a few years, though, she found a job in a textile industry and in a factory owned by the Eford family in in Albemarle. She was so very glad to come home. Now, home for them was a two-story wooden house on South Broome Street. It exists to this day, rather dilapidated, I would say, but still present. They were poor, but everybody was, or it seemed that way at least. Thankfully, they had all they needed, a cow out back, a well-cultivated garden, My grandmother worked many long hours, of course, but never once complained. Her life uh, did not seem to uh, come together as perhaps she had dreamed, but she had a job. She had a home, and so that was good. Each day when my grandmother walked to work at the local mill, she passed by the home of another widow, the mill owner's widow, a woman that she knew as Mrs. Eford of this Eford Manufacturing Company. Mrs. Eford was also a member of First Lutheran Church in Albemarle, but that was the extent of their relationship. They lived in two very, very different worlds uh, and very different places in life. Mrs. Eford was one of the wealthiest women anywhere around. Her home sat atop a, a large, beautiful hill. It was a beautiful home with a driveway that seemed to be paved with gold. Well, as she walked by each morning, My grandmother used to imagine what life was like behind those brick walls, behind the beautiful drapes covering the windows, the windows uh, that, that would cover a life that she never understood or ever imagined. She wondered, though, what it would be like to sit on that enormous porch that stretched out across the hill sipping iced tea or maybe even a glass of wine. On Sunday mornings, she saw Mrs. Efer dropped off by her chauffeur at the entrance of the church. It was a world that she could only imagine, and yet a world just a few blocks away. Although we can't be certain. Mrs. Eford was surely in attendance for my dad's confirmation that morning. She always was. She sat near the back of the church every Sunday, rain or shine. She and her husband donated the land on which the education building um, had been built. She she gave the pipe organ. She when the the seminary needed a home for a new professor, she quickly and quietly wrote the check. She loved her church and she loved the Lord. Would you give everything? for the sake of the gospel. I wonder what those two women, my grandmother and Mrs. Eford, I wonder what they were thinking when he asked that question. Everything? There was someone else present that day, another boy in that confirmation class, his name Richard Alston. My dad and Richard had become best friends when they were 12 years of age. And from that moment on, Richard spent more weekends at my dad's house than he spent at his own. And my grandmother spent as much time mending the knees of his jeans as she did any of her own children. And, and, and my grandmother also would, 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 would feed him, nurture him, care for him, love him. She always set an extra place at the table for Richard. Even when he wasn't around, she figured he would be at some point. Why? Because Richard's dad abused him horribly, physically, emotionally, verbally. Richard was afraid to go home, and so he spent most of his time with my dad. My grandmother, though, had one rule. If you're eating with us, you're going to church with us. And as it turns out, that was the only church Richard had ever attended. Well, a year or two after that confirmation morning, these two boys, once best friends, began to drift apart. That happens sometimes in high school, I suppose, but this time in large part because Richard began to hang out with what I guess we would call the wrong crowd. Uh, Even on the day of his senior year yearbook picture, Richard did not show up. He was absent. He did graduate, thank goodness, but he acknowledged years later that those were certainly dark years. After high school, though, he joined the army, a good thing, and Dad went to college at Lenore They didn't make contact with each other until their high school's 50th year reunion, a reunion, a surprise reunion of these long-lost friends and brothers. Dad learned that that Richard returned from his service in the army, that he graduated from college, and, and he followed his new bride to her home, her family's home in Alabama. There he became a social worker. There he became very active in their church for the first time in his life. In fact, he rose to become the leader of the Methodist. This church in all of Alabama, widely recognized for his faith, his compassion, his love for others. Well, at that reunion, my, he pulled my dad aside and said, Don, I never would have made it were it not for your mom. She fixed my meals, washed my clothes, always with a smile on her face. Your house was the only safe place in my life. My dad loved his mom terribly, but those words he had never heard. Richard continued, "'When I was in the trenches in Korea, "'you don't know how many letters "'I started to write your mom. "'I wanted her to know "'just in case I didn't make it. "'I wanted to tell her how thankful I was. "'I was afraid I had never been able "'to share those words with anyone, "'and so I never put them in the mail. "'But Don, your mom saved my life.'" Dad went home that night and wrote down the story, tears, no doubt, drenching the pages before him. Now, I do have to say, that this story, of course, is not just about my grandmother because I know that you could tell similar stories of your own What it is, is the story of a poor widow who heard the beautiful and blessed invitation of God into a relationship of love, of grace, mercy, and of compassion. It's a story of, of a woman who knew deep in her heart and in her bones, in her very soul, that that invitation was an invitation of grace extended to her, right? But she also knew that that invitation came with a challenge to share that same kind of love with others, graciously, selflessly, to give everything for the sake of the gospel. It was her way of taking up the cross and following Jesus. Jesus said, after all, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. Did you notice those… That choice of words, their cross. Jesus didn't say, you must take up my cross. He said, you must take up your cross. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means for each and every one of you because, well, each of us live in a very different context, a different location with different backgrounds, spheres of influence. To take up your cross in your particular context in this particular time and place, well, it's going to look very different from person to person. It's going to look very different from you to me, for example, Uh, or more specifically, it's going to look very different for someone living in Kenosha, Wisconsin today than it would look for someone living perhaps in Salisbury, North Carolina, very differently today for someone living in Lake Charles, Louisiana, than someone who may be living in Granite Quarry or Kannapolis. And yet, there's something that's common for all of us. And St. Paul gives us a clue from our reading in Romans chapter 12. Even though we come from different places and backgrounds, even though we come from different races and ethnicities, each of us, no matter where we are, are challenged to bear the cross in this very specific way. Paul cannot be more specific than this. He writes, we bear the cross by... Letting your love be genuine by hating what is evil, by holding fast to what is good. So, therefore, and here's the challenge love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be... Wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Live peaceably with all. I wish that I would have heard those words in the political conventions of these last two weeks, but I did not. I wish. And yearn for hearing those words in the streets of Kenosha and Charlottesville, Port, Portland, and Chicago. Why? Because these are the words that draw us into a place that Martin Luther King said was a beloved community, a community that is rooted and grounded in true and selfless love. And that's the message. That's the message beyond any policy whatsoever that we could ever dream up or imagine, that's the message that will change this world. A message where we dare to put love in action, where we accept the challenge and call of Christ to engage in selfless, gracious, forgiving love. That's what bearing the cross looks like. We've received the gracious invitation from God extended to us by a God who gave His very life for us on a cross, a cross that Jesus transformed from a cross of hate to a cross of love. Now, we must, we must do the same. We must accept that challenge by loving, by blessing, by rejoicing, by forgiving. Real briefly, it's interesting to note, I think, that when my grandmother was 74 years old, Um, It was very clear that emphysema and congestive heart failure would soon take her life. Three weeks before she died, still still alert, marginally active, she moved into the Lutheran home in, in Albemarle. My dad wheeled her down the, the halls, introduced her to nurses and residents, and, and gave her a brief tour of her new home. Then, for the very first time, they slipped into, into my grandmother's room where she would spend the rest of her life together. They greeted her roommate, an old but beautiful woman whose memory had long since faded. She did not even know her own name but the nurse did and introduced my grandmother to her new friend and companion, Mrs. Eford. Both would die in the next few weeks, but both together lifting high the cross of Christ forever. May we do the same. Amen.